Welcome to the Andrew Young School Podcast, where each month we interview a member of the Andrew Young School community who embodies the school's charge to think ahead and innovate in the fields of criminal justice, economics, public management and policy, social work, and urban studies. In this episode, we'll speak to Andrew Young School alumnus Evan Malbro about his work with the Georgia Youth Poll Worker Project. Evan graduated from the Andrew Young School with a BS in public policy and a music minor in May of 2020. During his time at GSU, Evan was involved in a number of student organizations, including the Campus Democrats and Georgia Vote Everywhere. He led an effort to staff the Fulton County Voting Precinct housed on Georgia State's campus with student poll workers, which resulted in the formation of the Georgia Youth Poll Worker Project, an organization which aims to recruit college students as poll workers throughout Fulton County and the state of Georgia. During our conversation, we discussed Evan's path to starting a career in election facilitation including some surprising stops he's made along the way. So I'm here with Evan Malbro. Evan, thanks for sitting down with me today. Thanks for having me. So let's begin at the beginning. What was your path to the Andrew Young School? How did you end up here? Oh, wow. So I came to GSU in 2016. I originally was a music major. So I was a major in cello performance, and um, I realized I was spending a lot more time uh, campaigning and working on the 2016 election than I was actually practicing in the music school. So I decided that, you know, I might switch over to political science. But then I ended up joining the Young Democrats of Georgia State, where the president was a public policy major. And she convinced me to be public policy. So that's how I got into the Andrew Young School. I don't want to breeze past that, though. I mean... You're a cello performance student and you think, you know what I'm going to do in this ample free time that I have is work on elections and campaigns. What motivated you to get involved in that? Oh, a myriad of reasons. I I really wanted to be a part of um, the political life. And I I was basically my freshman year was really me trying to balance my love of music and my love of policy. In high school, I played violin and cello. But then I also interned for my congressman and my DA. So I would be like trying to balance and juggle those two things. So when it got to college, I ended up getting into the music school. So that was my first choice. And then when it came to actually campaigning and things like that, one thing was money. So a lot of canvassing jobs at that time were paid, right? So as a broke freshman living in Piedmont North, you know, that was my my source of income. So that was uh, one of the first things. And then B is just that you know, a lot of my mentors beforehand told me that, you know, with any political or policy career, a lot of times it always starts with door knocking and canvassing. So I was very intent on, you know, getting that out the way because door knocking and canvassing are my least favorite aspects of political life. So when you finally decided to make the switch over, what was it like? Did you feel any sense of like regret or maybe just loss moving from playing cello every day to working on policy or well luckily enough i made my music major a minor so i was a music minor and then i think i took my first policy class the second semester of my freshman year so when i got in i realized that it was an environment i could thrive in and i really enjoyed um learning about this stuff yeah so i didn't really have any regrets because i still got to play music i still got to perform but i also got to learn um in a topic i was very interested in That's awesome, because I think a lot of times people don't take advantage of those opportunities to pursue multiple passions, especially during undergrad. So that's that's really cool to hear. Absolutely. You've mentioned in previous interviews that you were really inspired by Ambassador Young. I'm curious, what was your relationship to him? What did you know about him before you came to the school? And then how did that expand into an inspiration for you? 
it was interesting. So I went, so actually, it was actually through church. So I went through to a church, Antioch Baptist Church, was, was in his life, he, he sadly has passed on, was ran by a, a pastor named Cameron Madison Alexander. So he was heavy in the civil rights movement, right? So when he, when he got to his church, a lot of civil rights leaders came to speak often, and I would hear them when I was a child, right? So John Lewis uh, came um, a lot. Uh, C.T. Vivian came a lot. You know, a few more. Uh, Shirley, no, no, not Shirley Chisholm. Um, Zerona Clayton came. Like, so I got to hear all of these, like, amazing speakers. Of course, like, the mayors came and things like that. So as a child, I was very heavily exposed to those things. So I specifically remember... I think I might have been in middle school where an ambassador young came to speak. And I just remember him going on like a 15 minute rant from the pulpit about how the economy is being ruined because corporations are offshoring their money and Cayman Island accounts. And I thought as a child, I was like, oh my God, this guy's so cool. That's not a common reaction <laughs> from a middle schooler to just be like, oh yeah, offshore accounts. This is so interesting. This is what I got up on Sunday morning for. Yeah, it was like, cause like, it was weird. Cause I guess, you know, cause I was raised, I was of course raised in the church and raised religious. So it was, and I was always interested in politics. So I guess I was always more interested in when political figures actually came to speak and things like that. And I just, Every time it, I remember exactly what I was saying, every time it comes into my head, I always think it's like he was really just going on a rant about <laughs> offshoring money in the in the Cayman Islands or in tax havens. And it was hilarious. So then as you got older and learned more about him and eventually came to the school that's named after him, what about him stuck out to you among all of these figures that have been in and around Atlanta in and around your church? Why Ambassador Young? Why is he such an influence? say just his career you know what i'm saying so he he just got to do like you know everything right like um slsc u.s congressman um what was it ambassador to the united nations right and then the mayor of atlanta you know what i'm saying so he got to just you know i think he's like the perfect he's like a perfect jack of all trades you know what i'm saying where like his career like you you wouldn't you wouldn't like I would say, like, if you were advising someone to do a career, you wouldn't advise them to do it like him. But for with with him, he was just able to do that, right? And I feel like that's something I really gravitated towards. It's just that, you know, the wealth of experience he had for just being in so many facets of A, history, and B, um, our government as well. And that's something he talks a lot about. He talks about, you know, not necessarily having a plan, but just kind of going where he feels that he's being called or where he feels that he's needed. Is that something that resonates with you? Well, that's literally the reason I started the Georgia Youth Poll Worker Project. So, yes. So then let's let's talk about that. Where did the Georgia Poll Worker Project come from? After uh, finishing my freshman year in the spring of 2017, I was elected president of the Young Democrats of Georgia State University. Right. So I was the president. Then I actually ended up getting um, asked to be one of the co-presidents and founding presidents of the oh Georgia Vote Everywhere, right? Which is a chap vote everywhere chapter in the Andrew Goodman Foundation. So it was a nonpartisan voter registration organization. So I ended up liking like just voting work more than I did partisan work. So but my junior year I ended up leaving the Dem- young Democrats and just focusing all on voting work and voting organizing. So by my senior year, I ended up realizing that because it got so close to the election, all this money was pouring into college campuses to do voting rights, right? Voter registration, voter information, GOTV. And what ended up happening is my org, we were just basically all reinventing the same wheel. So I decided, okay, how do we move forward 
and how do we move forward and um you know push things further so i kind of got the idea in my head to uh have the precinct on georgia state's campus become fully staffed by its students so uh worked all the way through the summer of my junior after my junior year all the way to march of my senior year and we ended up hosting um an early voting precinct in what was it it was in dalberg in the ballroom in student center east and ironic uh, well it's so it came to happen that we were one of the only people the people who worked in that precinct were some of the only people that were trained on the new georgia voting machines that were adopted in january before the COVID 19 crisis shut everything down and it was it happened quite quickly right we opened our precinct on monday and tuesday and by friday and saturday we were moving out of the commons because of COVID-19 and shutting everything down, I ended up finishing my college career at home. That's how it started, right? So that's, I guess, the impetus of the poll worker project. The fact that I was trained um, right before a global pandemic shut everything down, including our democracy. So I ended up finishing at home. And I think it was it was really close to when Georgia State had their online graduation and things like that. I ended up getting a call from Fulton County, who I had organized with, basically saying, it's like, hey, we're, um, we have to do early voting for the June 9th election, and you were trained on the machines. Can you please come in and become a poll worker? So my first job after graduating with my public policy degree was becoming a poll worker in Fulton County. And so I worked there for a month. Um, because that's uh, the early voting period, and I worked election day on June 9th, and it was it was pretty fun. Uh, well, it it was fun. It had its fun moments. I would say, you know, I had to get up. I think like at four o'clock every morning, and I would work to almost as late as two o'clock the next morning. You know, working with voters and handling voters. And then June 9th happened, and uh, anybody who follows elections nationwide realized that June 9th was pretty much a dark day for Georgia when it comes to electoral politics. And that pushed me to say, well, one of the reasons why my precinct was hit so hard was because we we had people who did not know how to use the new machines, which were mostly touchscreen based, and we didn't have enough people. Well, in my head, I thought, who A, needs money, who knows how to use touchscreen and um, this technology intuitively, and who needs to be in precincts the most? And young people. So I decided um, that while I was just sitting around playing Call of Duty, I would start the Georgia Youth Poll Worker Project. And that's how it started, right? So I took my experiences from being um, a young poll worker, realized that it's a great opportunity to A, help our democracy, and a great way for many um, students who are economically disenfranchised to get work. And I started the project on July 1st, 2020. I want to step back to kind of a pivotal shift in your career there, because you said that you realized you were enjoying voting work more than partisan work. And I think some of our listeners may not know the difference between those two things. So at like the highest of levels, can you talk about what the difference is and why you ultimately are going in this polling work direction? Right. I think it's the focuses, right? So, for example, if you're working as a Democrat or Republican, your first goal is to maintain power, point blank, period, right? The policy and the strategy always come second, right? Because you need to pick um, issues, policies, and initiatives that will ensure your continuous reelection and continue your party's control. So there's always that fight. The difference between that and my field, which is voting on partisan work, it's more of a constant fight to make sure everybody has a voice, right? So, you know, 
instead of trying to say, oh, we're going to beat the Republicans or we're going to beat the Democrats, I'm saying I'm trying to make systems that allow for anybody in the state of Georgia or in the country to be able to vote easily and be well-informed when they do vote, right? And I also think um, part of the reasons why I gravitated to it more is because in the party structure, structure, all you do serves the party, right? You are serving the party's interest and that, those things can change over time. But, you know, with voting, it's always been the same thing, right? You know, the things I, for example, a lot of the things I advocated for were pretty much based off of things that like John Lewis advocated for, right? Partisan politics are more competitive, right? And while um, I would say nonprofit work, specifically in the voting sphere, is more of a it, it's a pure it, it's a pure and non-competitive way to make social change, right? So I think that's uh, what I did. Like I really enjoyed, you know, I really enjoyed when I was doing vote everywhere, playing these events, having people learn how to register to vote, working with everybody, right? Instead of just pointing against someone. And though I did enjoy the Young Democrats because I got to talk to Democratic gubernatorial candidates and all these other people who had stake in the Democratic Party, I realized it was really just to serve somebody to get elected rather than to actually fight the issues at hand. And I got a lot more fulfillment from picking a specific issue and fighting for that issue continuously. And it's quite apt that you're doing it when you are and where you are because like you said the june 9th election in fulton county has gotten a lot of local state and national press for being not exactly the most efficiently run election i know i personally waited five hours to vote in that election and i had a short wait time for a lot compared to a lot of people so it's really relevant work that you're doing and clearly it's meaningful to you i guess my question would be, you know, what would you say to folks who maybe are wrapped up in the partisan nature but aren't considering things like voter registration? Like, why voter registration? Why is this so important? Why do people need to, young people particularly, get involved in this kind of work? So when it, when it comes to partisan work, and I'm not knocking partisan work, you know, a lot of the people I work with, they do specifically partisan work. I can do a lot of people that work with Abrams, Warnock, and also that I love and talk to greatly. You know, if you want to do partisan work, you got to know that, in my opinion, the issues have to come second to electability. While when it comes to nonpartisan and voter work, the focus is more on the electorate, right? It's like, okay, you know, we're fighting to make sure everyone can vote, while many people in parties are saying, we're fighting to just make sure our side votes, right? Like, for example, there's not a lot of, you know, I, and, you know, sorry to get too partisan, but there's not a lot of Republicans going around the Democratic neighborhood saying, hey, are you registered to vote? Are you here to vote? You know what I'm saying? It's like, and same, same with a lot of Democrats, right? So I think that's where it comes in, right? When you take, when you take a nonpartisan approach, it's more all-encompassing. You know, it's more, okay, you know, I'm not doing this for the ulterior mo any ulterior motive, but to make democracy free and fair for all. And a big part of that, like you mentioned, is just the logistics, right? It's you just happen to be trained on the touchscreen machines before everything got shut down for the pandemic. And so you were one of the only people in your precinct that could train other people on it. How much of that kind of work do you think goes into this? And why is it important that we get young people in particular involved in poll work? 
Oh, it's it, it's a huge part of the work. So I have a saying. It says that there's three pillars to a, a functioning democracy, right? There's the voters, right? So there's people who vote, who vote for the elected candidates and our re- representative democracy. Then there's the candidates, the candidates whose main job is to get reelected, promote policies, programs, and initiatives to galvanize their electorate, right? Those are the two people pillars of democracy that a lot of people recognize because it's what they see and that's what they participate in. They're either voters or candidates, but there's an in-between pillar, which is the election worker population. These are the people who um, allow for elections to be administered. Without those people, there isn't a pathway for those in the electorate to those who are elected, right? You need the people to, um, be, to build that path for those things to happen. June 9th is a huge example of that, right? If poll worker numbers get too low, that means there are less precincts. Less precincts mean more wait times. More wait times mean that um, people who may have a lower propensity to vote based on um, timing concerns, which could be, which most likely are caused by socioeconomic issues, they won't be able to participate, right? So the more poll workers we have and the abundance of them we have that are trained, the more precincts we have, which lower wait, wait times. Also, the more poll workers we have also creates the responsibility of how many trained poll workers we have, right? Across the South, you see so many stories about people being turned away because their IDs don't match, right? Being turned away because they can't be found, right? Being turned away without provisional ballots, right? These things are real. And those stop people from being able to vote. Also, you know, I remember I was working in an election, um, the, the runoff election on June 9th, and I was coaching a precinct through um, basically because uh, there was a, a, a fellow black person who was trying to vote in the, in the runoff and they couldn't find her name. Uh, she had an apostrophe in her name, and um, a lot of the poll workers who were not accustomed to people with apostrophes in their name could not find it, right? So that was a specific experience of me as a black person knowing, okay, they're probably not looking up cor- looking it up correctly with the apostrophe, and instructing them on how to find it. And guess what? She ended up being found, right? So it's it's things like that, right? So, you know, without a strong poll worker population, you won't truly have a free and fair democracy because there'll be people that are excluded just on the logistics of the election itself. So I'm sure it's next to impossible to get a specific hard number on this, but just ballpark, how many voters do you think you end up working with in an average election cycle? So... Early, okay, so I actually do have almost exact numbers. On election day, I did around 600. Early voting, probably either three to 4,000 in the three weeks. So, I mean, those are sizable numbers, right? Just And that's just one precinct. I guess the thing that I'm thinking about here is if we had 10 more of you, that would be 3,500 more people <laughs> that we could get through that process, right? Right. And that's kind of your argument, essentially, is the more trained poll workers you have, the faster the throughput, the more voters get through. Yes, because it's more precincts, right? Um, you know, you, you want to know why you didn't hear about long wait times on the general election in Fulton County? They're at around 275 precincts, one of the highest amount that they've ever had, right? Average wait time, five minutes, you know? But guess what? What happens when that wait? But then also, it was also supplemented by the fact that there are more pathways 
to vote. More people voted early. More people voted by mail, right? But imagine this. The systems we've been using for decades have been like, we have 200 precincts, nobody votes by mail, and barely anybody votes early until the last days, right? That's more akin to what happened on June 9th. So if we, and the, and the thing about it is both those issues revolve around the ability of poll workers, right? Because you need poll workers to run the precincts. You need poll workers to count the ballots. You need poll workers to run the early voting precincts, which is three weeks at a time. It's all those things directly correlate to the amount of trained poll workers we have available per election. So I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about some of the other work that you've been doing that kind of stems from this, because it's not just your boots on the ground work in the precinct, working with voters, working with poll workers. You're also out here advocating for voter registration, for voter education, which is huge, important work as well. And one of the things that I found amusing in going through uh, some of your work is that you get interviewed a lot, but of all people, you got interviewed by Dua Lipa. And like, I'm a huge Dua Lipa fan, so I'm very curious how this conversation went, but also like, how do you end up talking to Dua Lipa about voter registration? Really? Like, where does that come from? <laughs> it came out of nowhere. So I worked with this organization called Future Coalition, and they were doing like a lot of like celebrity interviews and things like that. So they sent out like a mass email and says, hey, we need somebody that works for like that knows the inner workings of like county governments, right? Or local government and how those affects, right? And as you probably know, working with the Andrew Young School, like if you're a public policy major, that's like a third of your curriculum. You know, I raised my hand because I, um, along with being a poll worker recruiter for Fulton County, I was actually a poll worker trainer, right? So I was an employee under Fulton County. I still am. Yeah, I still am. I, I still count as an employee. Check still cleared. Um, so they, I, I say, yeah, I, I do that. I do that. I was like, I can talk a pretty good game on that. And they said, hey, you want to interview Dua Lipa? And I was like, sure. So the interview was a lot longer than the one that was published. So I remember, uh, so fun fact, Dua Lipa was a cello player too. It was, it was a, a hilarious moment we bonded on. So basically our sound person, before Dua Lipa got onto the Zoom call, our sound person, we were just talking. I told him I did music. He said, oh yeah, I play cello. You know, I, I've been playing cello for like 11 years. He said, oh, I play cello in middle school. I was like, that is crazy. And then we were like, you know, it'd be hilarious if Dua Lipa played cello as a child. And then when Dua Lipa came on, she said, yeah, I did. So that was uh, the hilarious part, like opening part of the interview. And then uh, I guess um, what Dua wanted was she just wanted the ability to learn about how how local government and how participating and being informed of local government can affect your policy outlook and affect how you can make change in your community. And we just sat down and have a conversation about how, yes, the federal stuff absolutely matters, but the local government matters too, right? But they both have their own specific spots, right? Like, for example, I hate when people say, oh, the federal government doesn't affect your day-to-day -day life local government does. Like, that is absolutely not true. But, um, you know, we just sat down and had a conversation about it. And she said she learned a lot. And I enjoyed, you know, spreading the good word. It's just such an interesting world we live in that that conversation is happening and facilitated and made public. And it's really exciting to see our students doing this kind of stuff. You also did some work with Instagram as an Instagram ambassador. How did that come about? And what are you doing with them? Oh, yeah, they asked me, um, they, uh, I think they sent me an email 
and they asked me to apply for the ambassadorship program. And I said, sure. And I basically applied. Uh, they said they picked me because they liked the work I was doing. Um, it did, it also helped. I think Instagram just liked the fact that I pretty much built the poll worker project on Instagram. So I think that was a selling point that a lot that, that that allowed them to do it. So what I'd help do is like help test um, Instagram features, uh, speak on panels with Instagram and things like that. And so with these opportunities, you know, these are big public opportunities. These are the flashy ones that get everybody excited. But you've also done some more traditional, you know, policy work in the government that is more, I would say, still exciting, but maybe more typical of what our students do tend to do you were a research fellow with the department of defense for a while i'm sure you probably can't talk about everything you did there but what can you tell us about that process and that experience oh it was amazing i was a law and policy fellow so it, it was actually like my first application of using um political analysis so one of my jobs my freshman and sophomore years was when the national defense authorization act was being drafted i would read it not all of it but read the parts that um, apply to my department and basically write reports on how to implement them throughout the department. And then um, I was, I'm pre-law, so I worked in the Office of Legal Policy where um, I did a lot of the same work. So yeah, that's kind of what I did as well. I also worked, um, oh, it seems like such a lifetime ago, uh, Title IX, AIDS discrimination policy, and Title IV. So I helped research for the redrafting of those policies within the department through the diversity in, in um, engagement office. And what was the big takeaway from all of that work? I mean, you were kind of doing a little bit of everything there, but I imagine there's a common thread that runs through that kind of work. Yeah, I think I saw a lot of o- overlap with the things I was being asked to do in my policy classes, basically seeing, okay, how is this policy going to affect in the short term and the long term? How is the feasibility of implementing these policy changing? How how can we track the effects that it has, right? So I think there's a lot of overlap. You know, I think I was one of the students that was lucky enough to not just be doing the work, not just be using their degree after graduating, but actually using it in between academic years. And that's exactly where I wanted to go next, because I think there's something really valuable there for current students who may listen to this. What would you say to maybe a freshman or sophomore who's, you know, they're finishing out their first year at spring semester, and they're looking down the barrel of their first or second summer? How can they start to pursue these kinds of opportunities like you have? Something I would advise students is, A, aim big, even if you don't succeed initially. Fun fact about the Pentagon internship, I am I was actually a lucky get for me. So at the end of my freshman year, um, mind you, after freshman year, I had before freshman year, I had already in twice, right? Interned for my congressman, interned for my DA. And then second semester of my freshman year, I interned for the Public Defenders Council. So by the time I finished my freshman year, I had three internships. And I thought, okay, well, I should have no problem finding a paid summer internship because all three of my internships were unpaid. And I was like, okay, I paid my dues. I want my paid internship. Like, you know, so I applied to like eight internship programs, right? I applied to campaigns. I applied to the Congressional Black Caucus. I applied here, here, like policy internships, political science internships. And 
I ended up getting rejected from all of them. And they basically all say like, oh, well, you're, you're a freshman. Like, no, we, we do juniors and seniors, right? So um, what ended up happening was one of the internship programs I applied for called Inroads, who mostly does business internships, they actually had a, um, they actually started getting government contracts the year I applied. And what happened was um, the Pentagon was one of their contracts, but it was mostly for grad students. And basically... What happened was there were five people that were picked. I was not one of them, but one of them decided not to do it. And I ended up getting a last minute call to getting it. So I say all that to say, never give up and be immensely persistent, right? Because on paper, I it, it was probably looked at I was not qualified enough to actually get this internship, right? And But when it, when it actually went through um, the process, I ended up getting it. And then when I was there, I made sure they knew that I was the best choice for the job, you know? So what I would say is, is that don't just apply to get the job, apply to excel at the job, right? Once you get it. And um, don't be afraid, you know, if you apply to things that you, that may be out of your league, don't just say, oh, well, they're out of my league and um, I'm not going to try to get them. Because there's always a chance you can. Anything can happen. Trust me, my story is the exact that exact thing. But when you do get these opportunities, make sure you're doing the best work possible. Make sure you're trying you're working to have the highest amount of impact possible so that you can create more opportunities for young people like yourself. And I'm sure a big part of that too is your student organization involvement and your community organization involvement. Use your education in those experiences or how do you find these opportunities that align with your educational experiences because i imagine some folks look at that and say well you know clearly he was a policy student he got involved in voting rights but like you had to make that happen how did you bridge that gap it was a lot man i think you know Sophomore year, I was planning voter registration events that I only have like four people know, you know, trying to get people to come and participate in like a city council runoff race, which I have, you know, 200 people applying for, you know. But I, what I will say is you got to be all in for it, if that makes sense. You really have to be all in. You know, when I was doing the work, I was applying for grants, right? Losing a lot of them, but some I get. You know, I was applying for grants. I was coming up with new ways to program. I started writing, right? I started writing articles that helped me. Um, I started networking a lot more, like going to these specific networking events to try to get people to work with, right? Like a lot of the people, you know, I met, you know, my current boss for my full-time job. I met him while working at Georgia State. Like we're doing my voter registration work at Georgia State my junior year, right? And that turned into a full-time opportunity during a pandemic upon graduation. So it's things like that. You really have to be there and try to, you know, raise your proficiency in all aspects of the work. I had to learn how to become a better organizer. I had to learn how to do my own graphics in order to create um, content that people will come to. I had to learn how to, you know, rent rooms at Georgia State, how to do campus activity budgets. I had to learn how to do grant reporting because I now had grants I got, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, and then also I had to learn how to pivot, right? You know, like, you know, my org, when we started in 2017, we were making maybe one of two orgs that's sole purpose was voter registration right like of course you had like your naacp they do a lot of racial justice stuff and they do voter registration during elections same with the parties but we were like we do voter registration january february march to december 
every day. But then by the time my senior year was happening, there were six other orgs like that, right? So we had to figure out, okay, how are we going to pivot in order to still stay um, impactful in the community? And we ended up pivoting in a niche, into a niche, which later led to becoming the project I'm being interviewed for. There's something about that that I just really appreciate, the quickness on your feet. And it, it goes back to what we were talking about with Ambassador Young, right? You feel that you're called towards a need and you just turn in that direction and go. And I think that's incredibly admirable and something that we love to see in our students. As we wrap up here, you've done so much, but obviously you're not done. What do you, What's next? Where are you headed? That's, going back to the Ambassador Young, I'm going wherever the wind takes me. Uh, so I am currently, so as of today, I have currently applied for a White House fellowship under the Biden administration. So I tendered my application the day after the runoff election. So that's applications in. I start studying for the LSAT next month as, as of this interview, February of 2021. I then am going to be applying to uh, the Swartzman Scholarship. So I've been talking to their administrators people. It's for international development at a university in Beijing, China. So um, that for 2022. And then I'm also just applying to just scholarships and fellowships, um, just a across the country and across and around the world. And then on the, you know, while I'm waiting for my applications and my test scores and things like that, we are currently working um, to make elections more efficient, right? So at the Poll Worker Project, we're planning out a lot of other outreach events, but we're also doing programs and planning initiatives to make elections run smoother and to help um, counties with election administration. And are you still playing the cello? Yes, I am. I still get lessons. Awesome. Well, Evan, if people want to get involved with the Georgia Poll Worker Project, where can they do that? Okay, so we have two Instagram pro, uh, Instagrams. So there is GA underscore youth underscore poll workers. So that is the Georgia Poll Worker Project proper. So that's where you would go if you want to be recruited to be a poll worker. Then we have our Peaches to the Polls initiative, which is our voter outreach events, right? So um, follow those if you want to go to like some really cool voter outreach events. We have some amazing ones planned for the summer. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Evan. This has been great. Awesome. Thank you for the opportunity. To learn more about the Georgia Youth Poll Worker Project, follow them on Instagram at GA underscore youth underscore poll workers. The Andrew Young School podcast is produced by me, Taylor Olmstead, with production assistance from Jennifer Giratano, Ashley Watts, and Amanda Poucher. Our executive director is Avani Raval. We are a production of Georgia State University's Andrew Young School of Policy Studies located in downtown Atlanta, Georgia. To learn more about the Andrew Young School, visit us online at ayspsgsuedu or follow us on social media at AYSPS. If you enjoyed this episode, please remember to leave a review for us in your podcast app of choice, and we'll be back next month interviewing another policy thought leader from the Andrew Young School of Policy Studies at Georgia State University.